0: Thank you again for being here for week two of this series called I Choose, where we are talking about choosing what is best, not what's convenient, not what's comfortable, not what feels nice, but what is actually the wisest possible decision for your life. And so each week of this series, what we're doing is um, we're looking at two options that kind of compete for our attention and our energy and sometimes our money. Um, And I'm going to do my best each of these weeks to help you choose the better one. Um, it should be pretty obvious, hopefully, um, when I give you the options which one I'm going to tell you to choose. Not, I'm not going to pull any bait and switches this week, uh, on this or in this series, excuse me. Uh, last week, uh, just to bring you up to speed, what we looked at was uh, we want to choose purpose over popularity. We want to live a life of purpose that God calls us to, which is an outward-focused life. It's a life that's focusing on His glory and the good of others, not popularity which is an inward focused life which is all about me and how much people like me and what people think it makes your life very small and very purposeless God called us to be purposeful people who make a difference not people who are just trying to care about ourselves Um, next time we meet and it'll be in two weeks or next time uh, we continue the series in two weeks I just want to give you a heads up because you're not going to want to miss this one Um, in two weeks it's going to be discipline over regret We're going to help you choose discipline over regret, because here's the thing, everybody's going to experience pain in their life. I would much rather you choose the pain of discipline, and it can be a pain. I'd rather you choose the pain of discipline rather than the pain of regret later on down the road. Uh, Now, today, though, what we're going to be talking about is choosing surrender over control, choosing surrender over control, and my guess is that some of you just right there clenched up in your seat, because surrender to you is a bad word. And you probably wish you could control the rest of the sermon and make me change it so that I can tell you to keep doing what you're doing. Um, The thing about control is some of you think that without your constant involvement in everything, in everything, the world's gonna fall apart. If you aren't always doing all the things all the time, Nothing's going to happen in your life. And so when I say surrender, you think, no, thank you, Anthony. That is not what I want with my life. I don't I don't want to surrender my life away because to you, that means giving up. That means destining your future to be misery. That means destining your children for a life that leads them to bad friendships, Uh, an addiction down the road, jail time for being a murderer. I mean, that's what you're thinking already. For those of you that want to control, you're thinking, we can't just give up control because everything crashes and falls apart without me doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And the desire for control has, it exists in differing levels of severity, okay? Um, There are very extreme cases of people wanting to be controlling. And Again, in a congregation our size, we might not have a ton of people that are in the very, very super extreme, but I know we got a few who want to be in the very controlling end of things. In the, in the controlling end of things, you care deeply and you control vigorously how clean your house is. And I mean, and I, you know, some of you are like, well, I like to clean. Am I a control freak? No, I mean, like anybody comes in here, like, take your shoes off. Anybody, Anybody's like putting a drink down, you're like throwing coasters under it, like left and right. You're like, no spots. I mean, I, I, I had a, a friend one time... Um, I was hanging out with her boyfriend, and we went over to her house for dinner, and she made us dinner, and she ate fast. And while we're finishing up eating, she's wiping off the table. And at, like, you take that last bite, and your plate's gone, and it, your spot's wiped up. And as we're sitting there, I'm like, what is happening? It was the craziest thing I'd ever seen. And she got, got the cute to- uh, toothpick out, and she was running it between the stove and the countertop, trying to get any crumbs that might be in there. And I mean, by the time we even had like a chance to burp up after the meal, like it was clean, the kitchen was done, and we, like, the evening was ready to move on. And it was just like, what is going, I'd never seen anything like it. Some of you might fall into that camp. Some of you control how clean your car is. Ooh, I might be getting a little tender there with some of the gentlemen in the room. Um, but you like, you don't only want your kid in the car because you're afraid one day you're going to find a French fry or a Cheerio. Which as we all know, those will look the same 20 years from now when you find them under the seat as they do today. Um, you want to control how your spouse dresses, how your kids dress. Which is essentially you wanting to control how people see you and your family. You want people to think you have this very perfect, put-together, always color-coordinated life, and it extends past just what they're wearing, but it also goes into, probably now we have social media, you will take pictures, and you intentionally leave out the ones that show chaos, that show anger, that show a house in disarray, or any sort of problem. You only post the picture-perfect moments, because that's what you want people to think that your life is. You want to control the perception other people have of you. And on and on it goes. You wanted to control every cent that's spent in your house. You want to make all the decisions about the schedule. And if you're extremely, extremely into this, like I said, when you run out of things to control in your life, you will just start controlling things in the lives of people around you. I already mentioned maybe controlling how your kids and your spouse dress. But some of you, it's much more than that. You control where they sit, how they sit, what they watch, what they do, every aspect of your life. And and, In my experience, when I see somebody who is an over-the-top controlling person, usually if you have been married, if that person's been married for any length of time, it has only survived because the other spouse has completely given up caring about mostly anything because they haven't been allowed to care about anything. And they've had to choose between fights and trying to have control over anything or the sake of their marriage. And if you have kids and you are this type of extreme control person, your kids will either end up very apathetic Or very, very angry because of the tight leash that you have them on their entire lives. Now, there are much smaller versions of this. And I think all of us have some tendency to control things. And and when you control stuff, uh, have this tendency, it's going to manifest itself in things that don't really matter. Uh, I remember when Abby and I had our first, you know, my way, her way kind of clash when we got married. Uh, Before I uh, got married, I had been here about a year and a half living in the house over there and, you know, totally single, no mom, no dad, all by myself, and I kind of had my way of doing things, had my rhythm of doing things, and then she moved in, and she had her way of doing things, and the first clash in our marriage was over the huge, incredibly important issue of how we fold hand towels that go in the bathroom. <laughs> this is stuff marriages are made of, right? I mean, I, you chuckle, but we all know that you've been in some similar type of fight if you're married, right? And and I thought you take the hand towel, right, and you fold it long way first and then short way, and she thought you folded it short way first and then long way, because then you could pull it out of the counter, or out of the ca- closet, excuse me, and it just goes right over the towel hook, just perfectly, okay? And you've already got your side, some of you, I see some head shaking, you're like, yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, like you do in any marriage, you compromise, and now we fold towels her way, and that's how, <laughs> that's exactly how this has worked in our marriage. But here's the idea about being controlling. When it's, okay, because controlling's not bad. We're going to talk about this in a little bit. God's given us all things to control. He's put responsibilities under our life, th- under our care, that we have to manage, okay? But when it gets to be a problem is when you start to control things that are not yours to control. Or you try to have full control over things with which you're supposed to have shared control, like in a marriage. And so um, it can be very, very difficult to find that boundary, Because when you're controlling, you don't think there's anything beyond your control. You think it's your responsibility to have your hands in absolutely everything. There is no limit to the bounds of your meddling if you take this to the most extreme levels. And so, again, it's not always bad because you're supposed to control some things. Like if you, um, you know, most of you, I'm assuming, got dressed this morning. You pick out your clothes. Great. You're in total control of that. If you're a boss at a company, you get to set the dress code. You get to control how your employees dress when they're on the clock, okay? But that doesn't mean that you get to give a commentary on how appropriate or well-fitted the clothes are of the person in front of you in line at Walmart. Hey, that's just not your place, okay? You have some things to control, and some things are not within your limits. Uh, some of you, if you're married, you want to be the lord and master of your finances, Every last dollar and cent is under your domain, and you don't let your spouse handle any of it. You give them an appropriate amount of allowance that they can spend so that they don't blow up the ship, you know, while you're doing things. So they get, they get a handful every week and don't blow it all in one place, and, and that's just kind of how things go. Uh, sometimes the things you want to control that aren't yours to control, um, this is an odd example, but it's, a, it's, a, it's an example that some of it is yours to control and some of it's not. Your health. Some of you, you think, if I eat all the right things, if I exercise just right, and if I get my spouse to eat all the right things, and exercise just right, and we do all the things to keep ourselves emotionally healthy and mentally healthy, we will all live forever. We will never die. We will never get sick. Everyone will live the perfect, happy, healthy life forever. Yeah, you can control some of your health. You can put some input into that, but you can be as healthy as you can be, and and still have heart disease, you can still have genetic disorders, you can still get various types of cancers. I mean, no matter how hard you try, some of that stuff, it's not in your control, but I see people all the time who live their life and lead their family's life as if, if I just do it all right, and I control every ounce of broccoli that goes in my kid's mouth, we will all be fine, and that's just not always the case. You see, when it comes to that kind of stuff, who lives, who dies, how long you live, how long you're on this earth, again, you can take care of yourself, But only that stuff is in, it's only in God's control. That's only his place to move. Now, the reason why you tend to take control of things that are not yours to take control of, and the reason I want to do it too, is because you don't trust the person who's supposed to be in control of it. You know, you don't trust them to handle it. And so when you have this desire to control, it simply is you saying, I don't trust you. Okay, I don't trust you to handle it. Husband, I don't trust you to handle our finances. So here you go. Here's your $5 a week. Don't blow it all in one place. And I'll, I'll protect the rest from your foolishness. Um, it's you saying, daughter, I don't trust you to get me the grandkids I deeply desire, so I'm going to set you up on, this, on a blind date with this guy from work without ever asking you. I will inform you that you have a date. 25-year-old, 35-year-old daughter of mine, I will handle that for you on your behalf. Because you're not doing it, I'll take control of your life and get you to the outcome I desire for you. You can say, God, I don't actually trust you with my kids. I don't think you're going to take care of my kids appropriately. So I'm going to take the lives of my kids under my domain, and I will micromanage every little detail of what they say, think, do, and eat. And that will lead them to the successful outcome I want for them because, God, I honestly don't think you're going to handle it as well as I could. I ran across an interesting article the other day um, about helicopter parents. And if you don't know what helicopter parents are, it's those parents that are always hovering over their kids, trying to protect them from any danger or suffering or pain that might befall them, you know. The extreme helicopter parents, your kid can't go outside unless he's bubble wrapped, you know. You've got to put on a helmet before you go check the mail, you know. There's all this stuff that just, just pa- everything's a moment to panic about. But the article wasn't just about helicoptering your small children. It was about how parents who are very bad at being helicopter parents keep that practice going when their kids are adults. And it was a survey of employers and they said, how many employers have seen parents meddling in their child's work life? And it said 31% of employers reported um, that parents would submit the resumes and applications for their children. So my kid's not going to get a job. They're not going to be responsible. I'll get them a job. I'll make them responsible. Uh, you had 12% of employers reportedly that parents actually scheduled the job interview for their children. Okay. I know what you're doing on Tuesday, sitting in a beanbag eating Cheetos, so I'm going to make sure you get to this job interview. I know your schedule's free, here you go. And it go, gets worse, and the one that surprised me, and it's not a big percentage, but it should be zero. Four percent of parents went to the job interview with their kid and sat in on it. Yeah, right? Can, I can't imagine coming to Ami Christian Church and having Donna Bliss sit next to me and answer the questions for me. I mean, to be honest, she would have made me look a lot better than I would have, but you know, right? But, but I just can't, I'm, I mean, that, when you do that, when people do that, I know the thing is, well, I love my kid, and I want to make sure things go right for them, but that is not what it is saying to the world. You're saying, my kid's a buffoon who can't compose himself and handle himself, and I will make him an adult, whether he wants to be or not, or she wants to be or not. And what it says to the employer who's trying to hire them is, if you think your kid's a buffoon, why would I hire this person? Who can't show up on the right day and get through a 15, 20 minute, 30 minute, hour long interview without you speaking everything for them. Oh my goodness, it blew my mind. And then it gets worse because then they had parents who would call after the interview to lobby for their kid. You're going to hire my kid. My kid's great. And then when the kid didn't get the job, inevitably, the parents would call back and say, how dare you didn't hire my kid? (laughs) And then if the person did get the job, there was reports of parents who would call in and lobby for their kids to get promotions and raises. Because the kid wouldn't even go in and have the guts to ask the boss for that stuff themselves. It goes on and on and on. And it was absolutely crazy. But when you do things like that, it says, I don't trust you. When you're controlling things that are not yours to control, you're saying, I don't trust you to handle this. So I've got to do it because I'm the only capable one here. And we do it to people all the time. Whether it's people we run into at the store. Whether it's uh, the, the employee at work, the other employees you have. Whether it's um, your spouse, your kids, but I think the area that we do this the most without even realizing it half the time is in our relationship with God. I can't tell you how much of our life is under God's control. Do you know how many variables there are to each and every single day that you have zero control over and they fall into God's hands? And yet we waste so much energy trying to do things that are only God's business to do. And it gets really difficult because when you distrust God to take your life in the right direction when you distrust God maybe about a certain situation saying this needs to happen but it's not happening fast enough and so God I'm just going to take the reins and make it happen since you seem to be you know lagging behind when you do that it creates a lot of problems in your life because when you don't trust God you will inevitably try to be God and I don't know if you know this you're not God I hate to break it to you. Maybe that's a shock to someone here. You are not God, and you will never be. You will never have the type of power. Even if you're somebody who might consider yourself an atheist, you still don't have the powers that we see in our God. Like You will never have that level of control in your life. And I've seen this kind of thing happen over and over and over again. Um, It could be something like, hey, um, I'm single, and I know that I'm supposed to marry A good Christian guy because, you know, the Bible says Christians need to marry Christians, you know, to be equally yoked and all of that. I know that's what the Bible says, but I've been waiting and time's clicking by. I'm not getting any younger and God doesn't seem to be leading me to anybody who is a good, nice, single Christian guy. And so I'm going to take matters into my own hands and just settle for a guy. I've seen that happen. I've seen it go okay. I've seen it go disastrously in various ways. Uh, There's a painful example of of somebody getting tired of waiting on God in Scripture. It's very early on in the pages of of the book of Genesis. If you want to go ahead and flip there, we're going to read a few verses out of Genesis. be in chapter 16. It's a story about a guy named Abram and his wife Sarai. And God would later change their names to Abraham and Sarah. And God made a couple promises to this couple. Um, He said, one, I will make you a great nation, Meaning, I'll give you lots of offspring, like your family tree is going to be huge. Um, I'll give you a land so that your people, your huge, enormous family tree is going to actually be a nation where they can actually have borders where they're going to be a country to themselves, and I will be the God over that nation of people that are your people, Abraham. And then I will bless the entire world through your family tree, which would ultimately be Jesus who would come through the line of Abraham. And so God says, Abraham, you're going to have a family tree, which means what do you got to have to have a family tree? Kids, kids. yeah, right? you got to have a branch to start that family tree. And so that's the first thing. But Abraham and, or Abraham and Sarai didn't have any kids at this point, and they were getting older. Okay, they were getting older, like well past the the child-bearing years, okay? Um, Like when they finally did end up having, um, when God finally did fulfill this promise to them, they were like 100. So, I mean, I get it. I mean, I understand. God, you're taking a little too long is a bit of an understatement. So they had a little bit of room to think, maybe God's not going to do this. So I I got a little compassion for them. I don't want to be too hard on them. But as we get into Genesis chapter 16, if you would rewind just to read verse 15 sometime on your own, You'll see that God makes this promise right there in verse 15, or chapter 15, excuse me. He says, I, Abraham, I will give you a son. And then we get to verse or chapter 16, excuse me, and things just kind of go haywire. It says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now, the Lord has prevented me. So God is not doing what he's supposed to be doing. He, it's not that he forgot. It's that he is actively not following through on his promises. The Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go in to my servant, that it may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. And after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went in to Hagar and she conceived. Now, it's like I know what God said. He's going to give me a son, but we've been here 10 years and it ain't happening. I know God said he would do this, but we've been waiting and we've been waiting and we've been waiting and we're getting older, our hair's turning gray, there's way more wrinkles than people typically have when they have kids, and it ain't happening, so let's just do this, let's take matters into our own hands. And they chose adultery over waiting for God. They chose to take the the issue by the horns and just commit a sin rather than trust God to come through for them. And when you take control of things that are not yours, when you try to play God in your life, it will lead you to some very bad things. It's not surprising when you being overly controlling leads you to sin, like they did. Because why? The number one thing in your life is not honoring God, obeying God. The number one thing in your life is getting the outcome that you want. And if you got to do whatever you got to do to get that outcome, that's okay, because that's what's most important. And you'll be tempted to compromise your morals, what you think is right, what is wrong, your integrity, in order to get the outcome. Because it is the biggest, best thing in your life, even over honoring God and doing what is wise and right Trying to be God will also produce in you endless anxiety. Endless anxiety. Uh, that's kind of one of the things, you know, a few years ago, I, I started having really bad troubles with anxiety. And and one of the things that I kind of discovered as I was kind of working through that process was that I want to control things that aren't mine to control. And it was freaking me out because I was trying to do things, wanting to do things that I, I just couldn't do. You know, I want my kids to always be healthy. Well, that's great, Anthony. That's a good thing to want. But I, can I make my kids healthy? No. I mean, I I can try to get them to eat broccoli. Actually, broccoli is a lot easier than, lot easier than getting to eat peas. Uh, you know, I can I can do that kind of stuff. I mean, James will eat about anything you put in front of him. He's a garbage disposal. Jude will eat peanut butter and jelly and corn dogs. <laughs> I mean. I, I mean I get it. I mean I understand why that's what he wants to be his diet. You know, but but like trying to. Always wanting to be in control of that was, was filling me with anxiety because I, you put the weight of the world on your shoulders when you're trying to be God. Everything's your responsibility, and it's a responsibility that you can't handle. Trying to be God will also lead to endless frustration and often despair because despite your best efforts and all your meddling, eventually you're going to fail. Eventually you're going to do everything you possibly could try to do, and you're, it's not going to be enough. And somebody's going to get sick, or something's going to fall apart the house is going to burn down, there's going to be some kind of tragedy that happens in your life that you tried to prevent and no matter how much you tried, everything still fell apart and it's going to be so frustrating and so exhausting because you thought, I did everything. Why didn't it work? Why didn't it work? That's why our job is not to be God, but to trust God. Our God. Our, our job is not to try to grab onto life's steering wheel and steer everything that we want to go the way that we want. Sometimes our job is to let God be God and acknowledge that we are not him. In Proverbs chapter three, whoever wrote this had the right idea. They were dead on when they said, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust, same word that means faith, believe in. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Meaning don't place your whole life on, I'm the smartest. I know what's best. I'm always right. My way is always better. Do not lean your whole life on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. The one thing I like about this, or at least what it reveals, I like the truth in it, but it's kind of scary. Being wise in your own eyes will inevitably lead you to turn away to something evil. Because I'm the smartest, I know what's right, I can handle it, I can do whatever I want. But when you trust God, it says it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Those are things you will never find. You'll never find peace, you'll never find rest when you're trying to control everything in your life. But what we have to understand is that no one is more gracious, no one is more loving, no one is more kind and generous than our God. And trusting Him with your life will often mean you have to do the scariest thing you've ever had to do, which is let go and surrender and admit, I have no control here. I have no work here to do. I have to let this. The, I have to let life take me where life is going to take me, and I have to trust that God is going to be with me through it all and get me through it all come the end of things. And so you got to let go of the wheel and let God be God. Now, again, let me say. I said this a little earlier, but let me say it again. Not all control is bad. He has put certain responsibilities in your life that you are supposed to carry. Okay. Again, he doesn't want you to say, well, I guess I will just sit on the beanbag and eat Cheetos forever until he just drops life into my, you know, until the bag of money falls out of heaven. You know, that's not what I mean with surrender. I don't mean giving up at life. I don't mean that at all, okay? There are things that you should do and try to do well to the best of your ability. So yes, work hard. Yes, care about your kids. Yes, try to encourage them down the right, wisest, most godly paths with your life. Yes, care about your spouse. Yes, try to encourage them to be more like Christ, to be more kind and loving and selfish. Inspire each other every day of your marriage to follow Jesus more closely. Yes, do those kinds of things. Yes, handle your finances wisely. Yes, give generously. Yes, save for the future. Do those kinds of things. But, but you've got to recognize you have limits. And you also have to recognize that God is limitless. You are limit limited God is limitless in his grace, mercy, in his sight, in his ability to understand and see all the variables that you cannot see. In his, he is limitless in his power to control the things that are far beyond your right and will to control. God can do all the things. And, if, and the biggest reason I think you can trust him is, is that we have evidence that he loves us and wants the best for us. That's why he sent Jesus. There is no better love letter to the human race than the fact that God stepped out of heaven into our world to save us if God is willing to step out of the perfection and glory of heaven into our messy world to rescue us out of the muck and mire of our sin, I mean, nothing says, I love you, and I got your back like that. And so when it comes to your life and your desire to control, do your best when you have something to do. Do your best with the things that are yours to handle, but surrender the rest into the kind, gracious, capable hands of your heavenly Father. Do your best and surrender the rest. I want to give you a couple action steps to take here to help you kind of work through what you might want to be controlling over. First up, you need to identify what it is you want to control. You need to sit down and think of what it is that you want to control. And maybe you say, well, I I don't think I have a problem with this. Ask your kids. They'll tell you. Ask your husband or your wife. And if they are like, uh... Because they don't want to tell you because, again, you've, you've beat them out of caring anymore. You've kind of let them say, I don't have an opinion, and they've kind of surrendered into that role. So when you ask them something like this, if they say, uh, you're going to know that there's probably something to dig on a little bit here, okay? So ask what you want to control. Identify it. Name it. Do I want to control my kid's future? Do I want to control everyone's health? Do I want to control uh, the weather? I don't know how bad. Some people get bad about it. I don't know. Um, identify what it is that you want to control. Your image, your kids, your grown kids, how your kids parent your grandkids, all that stuff. And then ask one simple question. Is this mind to control? Is this mind to control? Really? Is this something that is your responsibility to handle? And if you are honest with yourself, you're going to see most of the time, the things that we worry about the most, the answer is no, it's not mine to control. It's beyond my hands anyway, and the thing I'm, I'm sitting here stewing and worrying and fretting and working, and it's not even my, my place to meddle in the, in the first place. Is it your place to determine your future? Does, does your husband or your wife really need you to control them? I mean, I get it, okay? I'll give you, yeah, they probably do need you to pick out their clothes, okay? Ladies, half of these men in this room look the way they do and look as nice as they do because you had a hand in it this morning, and we thank you for that, okay? But your kid doesn't need to look like they came out of a catalog when you send them to kindergarten. Nobody cares. That's not something that you need to worry about and fret over. Do you have any power to prevent the tragedies in your life? Is this yours to control, Really? Because some things in this world are God's and God's alone, and the best thing you can do is determine and learn where your limits are so that you can begin taking everything outside of that and putting it into his hands. It is within, if it's within your control, do your best. But if it is not, then surrender it to your heavenly Father. All you need to do, do your best and surrender the rest. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful for this time here today to talk about surrendering. It's, it's not easy to surrender. To ad- admitting that you have a control problem is not an easy thing to admit. And, and when it comes to relinquishing that control, that also gets scary, It gets fearful, because the reason we control oftentimes is because we're scared of what happens if we don't. So I pray that when we feel the fear of letting go and what will happen, we will meet that fear with acknowledging how amazing you are to us, God. As we let go of something, let us know that you have it. You've got it. And not only, and that's not a last resort that we have to just let go and let God, but sometimes that's the best thing that we can do. The first course of action should be to surrender things into your good and capable hands. Because oftentimes our meddling is just going to mess things up rather than trusting in your sweet care. So let us, Father, meet fear with trust. Let us do our best in places where we have the room to work, in the responsibilities you've placed under our control, but then let us let go of the rest and trust you with our future. Help us to choose, surrender over control, because control leads us nowhere but sin, exhaustion, and anxiety, and you want more for us than that. Thank you for this powerful lesson. May we, again, trust our lives to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.